Hey guys, so in today's episode we're gonna talk about investing. Recently I've seen many many articles on how to get started with investing, which ETF to buy, what to do, what not to do. And just massive amounts of questions in Facebook groups, Reddit threads, just simple beginner questions, which I find would make very valuable episodes. And in this episode we're gonna go back to the basics. So short rundown of the actual episode, why and how do you invest, how to actually pick a broker and which criteria do you use in the end to determine, okay, this is the right broker for me or not, what kind of ETFs to buy, and one thing that's very valuable actually to myself, how to invest while moving between EU countries, because like IS, I believe many of us do move between different countries over the next 30, 40 years, I'll probably live in quite a few countries. And having to move between countries and move your investments with you is just extremely difficult. Anyway, that's the episode of today. Hope you enjoy. Sit back, relax, and yeah, have an awesome morning slash afternoon evening wherever you are. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hi, this is Matthias and I want to introduce you this episode's sponsor, which is Everstate. Everstate is a real estate P2P aggregator and with one account you can build a diversified portfolio of projects of many different deal providers across 11 countries. What I really like about them is that Everstate founders also invest personal money in some of the projects and you could choose to follow them to invest in these curated skin in the game projects manually or just using the auto invest feature like I do. With the three investment types, you can decide if you want to invest in property loans, equity or earn a steady income from rentals. Most projects are backed by collateral and you can expect returns between 5 and 18%. If you're interested, you can find more information at financial-independence.eu slash evoestate. That's spelled E-V-O-S-T-A-T-E. And you can find the link also in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome back again to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. This time I've got Swiss Guy with me. Hey, Swiss Guy. Hey, Alvar. How is it going? Pretty well yourself. How's life? Perfect. Thank you. And I'm very happy we decided to stick to Swiss Guy this time because with the first interview we did with yourself was always a bit weird to say the poor Swiss Guy or Swiss dude or something like that. So we're going to stick to Swiss Guy in this case to make it roll over the tongue a little bit easier. So... Anyway, in today's episode, uh, we're going to cover kind of like two topics. First of all, how to get started with investing, because recently in our own Facebook group and in general, I've seen really many people asking, okay, how do I start? Which broker do I pick? How does this work? There are plenty of cool articles um, out there that I explain it, but just a simple step-by-step guide for a person who knows the basics I have not been able to find in a podcast format, uh, at least for Europe. So we're going to cover that. Swiss guy wrote an amazing article on that, which we'll obviously link in the show notes, which we'll use as the guidelines for it. And I will act as our guinea pig not knowing person or person who doesn't know much. Swiss guy is going to be our expert in this case and answering all my dummy questions uh, and hopefully enlighten us with what to do and what not to do. And then the second part of the episode will be uh, an actual article I enjoyed quite a lot when I found it, which was written by, I'm just going to say to pronounce this once, Andre Dragizic. And Andre, sorry if you're listening to this, if I'm um, pronouncing your name incorrectly, but Andre wrote um, an article about how should a European citizen invest their savings. And it covers the basics very nicely, but he's in essence just going over, okay, if I'm a European citizen, 
how do I invest my money between countries? And I'm going to take a slight twist myself for this interview as well with this article and turning it into, okay, if I'm a European citizen, I'm moving between countries, between jobs, and I go from Germany to France or to the UK, every country has this different systems, different brokerages available, different taxes. How do I make choices in what to do and what not to do? Because if I move between five countries over four decades, if I don't plan this carefully, I'm going to create a mess. So I myself uh, have moved between quite a few countries. So a Swiss guy will kind of fire questions towards me on that and we'll just have a chat on it. And we'll finish up the interview um, with uh, kind of like our own personal juries with investing and how we came to a just a very quick rundown on that one. Anyway, uh, without further ado, then I would say let's get started because the person who actually wrote awesome articles on the other side of the microphone, uh, Swiss guy. So I would say just to set a few assumptions regarding who I am, if I'm after, okay, how do I actually start with investing in the stock market? I've got a normal job. I've got relatively okay income, 40, 50K, rent an apartment, and yeah, I've got 1,000, 1,500 euro um, a month left to save. But I don't know what to do. I've, you know, I've heard of these ETFs and of 401ks in the US, but yeah, I need to know and learn how to get started. So kind of like the first question, like with those assumptions, how do I get started? I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is why do you want to invest? Because it will matter in the end if you want to invest, I don't know, for a car in five years or for a house in 20 or for retiring in 40 years. I think this will be the first step to know all long-term you are investing for. Fair one. So in this case, I am investing for the long-term. I'm interested in early retirement and my aim is to invest safely. I'm, I'm happy taking some risk, but I'm also you know, quite conservative. I, I want to invest my money and I want to get a good return, but I don't want to take all the possible risk and only invest in Google and uh, big stocks. So a simple approach with good returns. That's where I'm aiming at. Okay, that makes a lot of sense then. So then, as you said, there are ETFs, so ex exchange-traded funds. It will be a very good options, but ETFs in themselves don't mean it's a good thing. What we are interested in for the long term is uh, index funds. Index funds, basically what they are, is a mutual fund that tries to replicate the market. In the active mutual fund, which is the contrary, they pick some stock, like you said, maybe Google, maybe Tesla, and they hope to make a quick buck. With an index fund, they simply invest in the entire market. And if the market does well, your fund goes well. If the market does not do well, you doesn't do well. And why is that better? Simply because uh, it's been shown time and time again that it's very, very difficult to beat the market. So instead of trying to beat it, we simply follow the market and uh, use index funds. Now I talked about ETF as well. So if you are lucky, which is unlikely in Europe, you have access to very good mutual funds like the Vanguard ones. Unfortunately, in most of Europe, uh, simple investors don't have access to it. So we have to use ETF and ETF uh, are simply mutual funds, but traded on the stock market. So for instance, if we take uh, the Vanguard uh, Total uh, World Stock ETF, which is VWRL in Europe, this is a simple stock in the stock market that you can buy and sell like Google or like Microsoft. But behind that, you are buying shares into uh, a mutual fund. So this is a very good bet for the long term. Okay, gotcha. So 
um, I'm gonna buy these guys. I'm gonna spend my 1500 euro a month on them. So can I just in that case say every month I buy them, uh, regardless if what the market does, I just keep buying them every month, rinse and repeat. Yes, I think this is a very good strategy because then you kind of ignore the market. So you just, you know, you're going to invest. Obviously, if you invest today, maybe tomorrow it goes down, I don't know, 10% and you will kind of have lost 10%. But you have to remember that it's not a loss as long as you don't sell. If you want to invest for the long term, you don't have a choice. You have to invest every single month for maybe 20 years or 10 or even more. And there will be some times where you invest and it goes bad for a few months, but you need to keep at it because you also want to buy when the market goes bad, because that's also where you get some discounts on the prices. Gotcha. So regardless of what happens, if we have an 08 or a year where the markets go um, goes up by 20%, I just keep buying over time. And in that way, I just capture the good and the bad moments and keep doing that for you know an extended period of time. And what happens then? Because I keep buying and buying and it goes up and up and up. Can I just sell it? So at some points, yes, you can sell it, but I would recommend to only sell it if you need it. For instance, if you want to retire early, you should not sell it the day you have enough. Because the problem with early retirement is that on the long term, you don't want to have only cash. Your cash will not generate any returns. Your cash will uh, get lower and lower value with inflation. Instead, you should, if, if, you need a, if you want early retirement, so financial independence, you should keep it invested and only sell what you need. Let's say you have 25K euro per year expense. So at the beginning of the year or each month, it doesn't really matter. You sell what you need for the month or for the year, and then that's it. And then the rest will continue growing, fortunately, and it will continue covering your expense time uh, over time. Gotcha. And you also mentioned cash earlier. How about bonds? Um, do I also want bonds in my portfolio at all, or do I go 100% stocks? That's a very good question. So the percentage of bonds in your portfolio is generally called the asset allocation. And there are a few like rules of thumb for how much bonds you need or want. Some people say you need your age in bonds. Some people say you need your age divided by two or minus 10 or something like that. You have to remember it's only rule of thumb, but what bonds will do to your uh, portfolio is kind of uh, smooth it down. So if you have some very bad year with the stock, the bad years with the bonds should be lower and uh, the average of your portfolio should also be lower. So what bonds are is that instead of being a part of a company, they are a loan, either to government or a company. But generally speaking, it's better for government because you want lower risk. If you have a bond uh, to a company, uh, so a corporate bond, you will increase your risk instead of uh, reducing it, which is really not the point. So what bonds will do, the lower your risk, obviously they also lower your returns, but they should increase your chances of uh, retiring early. There is a problem with bonds currently in Europe. And since we are talking about European investing is that bonds currently in Europe are pretty terrible. They basically all have a negative interest rate so they're not returning a lot. That is not to say you should definitely not invest in them because maybe tomorrow they will increase. Obviously not tomorrow, but maybe in a few years they will increase and go back to a positive interest rate. So if now you feel like you need some bonds, it's based on your risk tolerance. 
you said before you don't want to take too much risk, so maybe you should have like 20% or 40% in bonds. And in that case, there are also uh, index funds and ETF for bonds. And you should also go as global as possible. So maybe take uh, the entire uh, an ETF for the entire Europe bonds uh, collection or maybe even the entire world. Gotcha. And so I'm buying these bonds and like, okay, so let's say, you know, based on, as you mentioned earlier, for example, I'm taking my age and based on that, make the assumptions on like what my asset allocation to what bonds will be. And just every year um, I keep buying those. I buy some bonds, I buy some stocks. And um, one question I actually have, because I know some ETFs, I'm just checking one now, VWRL, they're paying some dividend as well. And the bonds, they obviously pay me also interest. Like what do I do with that money? So when you are still in the accumulation phase, that means you will receive extra income from the bonds and from the stocks as well in the forms of dividends. This is simply added to your income. And I think most people should actually use that and reinvest it directly into their, uh, into their ETF. Once you've reached uh, financial independence, you can use this income to cover your expense. It's always better to use the dividends and the, the interest from the bonds to cover your expense instead of selling the, the ETF. Gotcha. And obviously, like on paper, this all looks amazing, but I still need a company or a provider or somebody who helps me actually buying these ETFs. Um, I know they're called brokerage companies. There are tons and tons of them out there and some extremely expensive, some really, really cheap. So like, how do I pick the brokerage company that's best for me? So that's a very good question. And as you said, there are a lot of bad choices for brokers. Basically, in each country, most big banks will uh, offer a broker account. But generally, the, the worst possible choice because they will be tens, if not hundreds of times more expensive than uh, affordable brokers. Personally, I would recommend two possible choices. Either in Europe, you go with uh, DeGiro or you go with Interactive Brokers. They are both very good. So Interactive Broker is a US broker that... Uh, as a UK uh, dependency. And DeGiro comes from the Netherlands, but is now available in all of Europe. For European investor, if you have euros, uh, DeGiro can be slightly cheaper, but uh, with interactive brokers, you will have more options. For instance, you can trade in currency and things like that. Obviously, if you are a simple investor, most of it should not matter, and you should take the broker that is the simplest for you. Both interactive brokers and the Giro will be very, very cheap for an European investor that invests simply once per month in uh, in ETFs. Nice one. And there are also exactly the brokerage companies I use myself. The Giro is extremely cheap for buying ETFs. They've got a list where you can buy them. I'm a bad guinea pig. I like talking so much about this. Um, <laughs> but they offer a long list of ETFs you can buy for free if it's above a thousand euro um, per purchase once a month. So you can, in essence, buy without any trading fees. Um, there are other companies that offer something similar, but that's what I really like about the Giro. And indeed, interactive brokers, I completely agree with your explanation around it. And all my individual stocks and bonds are held within interactive brokers because they just, they'll just offer so much more choice and their platform is far superior over the Jira. Obviously, personal opinion, but I found them far more user-friendly and better in providing information for yourself to make investments. Um, so yeah, 
Why not combine the best of both worlds? So I don't think there is one that covers best of both worlds, unfortunately. But as you said, the Jiro for first-time investor is much, much simpler. Uh, interactive brokers is a bit overwhelming, especially when you have to convert currency yourself and uh, the Jiro does it everything by, uh, by hand. But I would say that if you're a first-time investor, you are not very confident, definitely start with the Jiro. You can always switch back later, but I had the experience of switching broker. It's a real pain. You don't really want to plan for that. So if you think you are going to go with interactive broker in five years, then you should go with uh, interactive brokers right now. Otherwise, just stick with uh, the Jiro. Okay, fair one. And you also wrote a comparison about the two, right? Interactive brokers or IB versus the Jiro, um, which we will obviously link in the show notes. Yes, so I did that uh, when with a portfolio with a United States ETF. Unfortunately, since 2018, uh, people in Europe cannot invest in them. In Switzerland, we still can. And in my comparison, I had uh, about 25% Swiss ETF and about 75% uh, American ETF. And in that particular case, Interactive Brokers was slightly cheaper than the Giro. I redid the comparison recently and for a European investor, it's almost a tie. They are almost both at the same level. And if you are, if you have directly euros, the uh, Giro is actually cheaper than Interactive Brokers because the only thing that is really more expensive at Giro is the currency exchange. You have to pay... Uh, 0.1% of the, the transaction. So for instance, if like in Switzerland or in the UK, you have something else than Euro and you invest in Euro, every time you buy something, you pay 0.10%. And every time you sell it, you pay again this fee. And Interactive Broker is much cheaper for that. So if you don't have currency exchange fees, basically, if you are in France or Germany, you have Euros and you invest only in uh, ETFs that are traded in Euros, you can save a lot of money with Giro. Uh, I also recently had the problem myself when I sold off some individual shares on the Giro and had to transfer like 12k uh, USD to euros. It is a pain. It gets expensive like that. So yeah, can definitely second that one. Neat big story. So we've covered kind of like, okay, how do you invest? Which sources do you make? And kind of what the workflow is and what you buy the brokerage company to pick, what to look for, what not to look for. Um, but one thing we haven't really covered yet is uh, the ETF you're actually gonna buy because we're, we keep saying VWRL and many, many blogs also recommend that one. But why is VWRL or equivalents, why are they the best? That's a very good question. So there are many factors you need to, to consider when you, you take uh, an ETF. I would say the first one you need, so first of course you have to decide in what you want to invest. So let's say you want to invest in the entire stock market of the world, which is a good uh, guess because then you will invest in the entire market. You don't have to say like, may I want to invest 10% in France, uh, 1% in Germany and so forth. Just invest in the entire world and that way it will be much simpler. So unfortunately for the world, there are like maybe 10 or 15 ETFs that uh, are, uh, are doing the same thing. And for a single country like the US, there are maybe 50 or even more ETFs that you can choose from. So you need to decide which one of these you want. I will say that the first thing you, you can check is the total expense ratio. It's called TER. And this total expense ratio is the number of fees that will be taken from you year after year. For instance, a VWRL 
VRWL, sorry, as uh, 0.22% uh, fees. That means that if you have 100 francs in this ETF, you are going to lose 22 cents each year. If you have 100,000 francs, you are going to lose uh, 122 francs from uh, this ETF. No, sorry, that was wrong, 22 francs. And so that's the first thing. Obviously, you don't want to lose money to fees. The second thing you have to decide is whether you want an ETF that distributes the dividends or that accumulates the dividends. So we said before that dividends is something you get. For instance, if uh, Microsoft has too much money, they can give something back to the shareholders. And this is uh, going back to you as dividend. So a distributing ETF will give back the, all the dividends to you, generally each quarter. But an accumulating ETF will get the dividends themselves and reinvest. So if they get uh, 1 million in, uh, in dividends, they will buy back more shares and the value of the, the fund will grow. So from a paper point of view, it's exactly the same thing. In the distributing case, you get no more shares, but some cash. In the accumulating uh, case, you get more, uh, more for your money, but you don't get cash. The difference is depending where you live, in some countries, it's more efficient to have an accumulating ETF than a distributing ETF because in some countries you pay taxes on dividends. So several countries in Europe are like this, so you should prefer an accumulating one. But there is an advantage to distributing, that is you will get the cash. Once you are retired, if you get uh, 1 or 2% dividends out of your portfolio, let's say it's so 1 million euro, that will already be uh, 10,000 or 20,000 euros each year that uh, you get directly. And that can help a lot because then you don't have to sell. And when you sell in some countries, you will pay uh, capital gains. And instead of selling, you simply get your dividends and you sell less. So you can also optimize the taxes with the distributing. So unfortunately, you have to know the different things about the taxes of the country you want to be. So the first one is, are the capital gains taxed or not? It also depends country from countries. How are the dividends taxi, taxed in this country? And is it better to accumulate or to distribute? And another thing I will look at for uh, an ETF uh, is probably the size of an ETF. You don't really want a very tiny ETF that uh, just started out uh, yesterday. You probably want an ETF with, uh, let's say, at least 1 billion euros. It sounds big, but for ETF, it's not that big. Some of them are like thousands of billions uh, in uh, assets that are managed. And there is one other thing that are a bit uh, specific is where the ETF is from. Again, it's from uh, kind of tax reason. You ideally want, if you are in Europe, you ideally want uh, an ETF from Ireland because you will have less taxes on the, on the dividends. So you will lose less on the dividends before they even get to you. Nice one. And a few last notes from my side also important to ch check when you buy an etf if it's an actual um physical etf as in they purchase whatever they're holding or if it's just representing what you're buying and it's just an instrument on itself like that i would always say buy a physical uh, etf just so the actual assets your wrapper is buying you actually own as a part of that and a second note as well, the provider you're buying them from. I personally am a very big fan of Vanguard. 
um, over, for example, iShares or BlackRock um, or other providers. Why? Vanguard is owned by its shareholders. It's, it, the, the goal for Vanguard is not to make more profit, but simply to be as cheap as possible and as efficient to provide ETFs for investors like us. And it's literally through our investments in their ETFs, we own the company. Whereas versus, for example, a company like BlackRock or iShares, their primary goal is to make a profit for their owners. Whereas Vanguard it just has a totally different focus. And there are definitely providers out there that can be cheaper than Vanguard for some, whatever reason. But that philosophy behind Vanguard is valuable to myself. One thing I would also still add to that, um, I recently switched from a distributing ETF to an accumulating one, which in my case is uh, VWCE, um, which is actually based in Germany. Yeah, so there are different counties where these providers can be found, but I would definitely agree that Ireland in most cases is the cheapest. Uh, but the only thing I still wanted to point out is that for accumulating ETFs, there is something that's called a, a dividend leakage, which for some providers can be substantial. It's very hard to quantify and it's too difficult to go into the exact details right now. But if you happen to buy an ETF, just please Google the ticker with the dividend leakage and just try to find, okay, from what I'm getting paid or sorry, from what it's in a way, how is the ETF accumulating and how much am I losing through different uh, dividend leakage? It's Sometimes it's nothing, but it's just something that's worth checking. Anyway, would you have any more notes on what to check uh, when buying ETFs, Swiss guy? So I don't, and I agree with your, with your point. So definitely go with a physical ETF. You really want them to have the shares, not have some uh, complicated contract of futures instead to just represent the market. They really want to, them to buy the shares. And Vanguard has definitely a very good philosophy. I will not be blinded by this. I don't think iShares is definitely bad. Uh, I also prefer Vanguard, but if a fund from Vanguard has twice the fees of an iShares one, I would still go with the iShares one. There's not that much risk, but it's true that uh, BlackRock is for profit, where Vanguard is more for the, the, um, for the shareholders. Nice one. And I think if we summarize our whole story, then we've covered... So how do you invest? Like, what do you determine uh, where to invest in the brokerage company to pick? And then obviously, if you've got, I want to invest so much, these are my goals. And this is the company I'm going to use. What actual ETF you're going to buy in the end? Um, and obviously, this is completely dependent on your personal situation, where you're from, what you earn, taxes, etc. cetera. Um, but I hope it um, offers a nice framework to work with. And then I guess once we know what to buy, um, me as the amazing guinea pig, can I then just buy it um, and let it run like that? Yes. So now you know that uh, you have a, what we call a portfolio. So you have maybe one bond ETF, one stock ETF, or a few more than that. You transfer your money every month to your broker, either digital or interactive brokers. You buy the shares of the ETF and you let it run. Now, as we said, there is a point where maybe you have to move from one country to another. And in that case, we'll have kind of to redo the process. So try to check, let's say you, you move from Germany to France, you check the, the taxes in France, you estimate if it will be better to switch 
And you have to be very careful when you switch. Let's say, for instance, uh, you decide to switch from uh, an accumulating ETF to a distributing. This will mean you have to sell maybe a considerate amount of money, let's say 100,000 euros, and buy it back. And in some countries, that will be capital gains, and you will be taxed on that. So when you try to optimize for tax, you should be careful about not uh, generating new taxes that you are maybe not aware of. So do your research and try to not overcomplicate things either. If you are going to save, uh, let's say, 10 or even 50 euros a year, and you may not have to change ETF, especially if you plan maybe to move to another country a few years later. Nice one. And yeah, I can definitely second that in the sense that I've moved between different countries um, a number of times now. And whereas, for example, um, but I don't please don't quote me on the exact numbers, but in Germany, the first 800 in dividends um, are tax free, but afterwards you're being taxed quite heavily on them. But like, for example, in the Netherlands, you only pay 15% dividend tax over the dividends you get paid out. And there is, for example, no capital gains tax at all. But on the other hand, we've got a wealth tax in the Netherlands, which means you pay a percentage of your total wealth, your net worth every single year to the state. And all these slight differences between countries, they matter because just as much as we've talked about the expense ratio of an ETF, if you want to be aware of uh, like what it does to your portfolio on the long run, taxes, uh, selling an ETF and triggering a taxable event or um, the kind of um, instrument you're using matters a lot over the long run. And it's just a substantial part of the returns you're making. It's always very interesting to just run a quick Google and look for um, a simulation calculator where you fill in, okay, I'm going to invest 10,000 per year and this is the expense ratio I'm paying. Do this for 20 years. Check what your returns are. And now compare um, and you know, say you have a certain expense ratio. Now do it again, but either with a lower or a higher. Compare the two against each other. And the returns will be massive. Because in the end, what is making um, the largest return on your investments? It's not. I mean, obviously, it's the money you're putting in every month. But in the end, the the money you're earning over the actual returns you're making. So say you invest money, you earn money with that money, and the money you earned, the profit, that will in the end be the driver of the crowd, which will trigger the compounding effect of your portfolio. Most of the profit in the end is coming from there. So I would really, really do it carefully and if needed, um, consult with a tax advisor before you do anything. I know many people in this community love to just do the research uh, themselves and if I uh, just read a couple of your own articles, Swiss guy, I know you're one of those person also loves <laughs> just doing all the research by himself. Yes. So obviously that's an option. It's not as difficult as people think to do the research on taxes and things like that. A lot of people have written articles on that. You don't have to read uh, tax laws for that. But some people do not like that, which I completely understand. And in that case, I would say that one option is indeed a tax advisor or uh, another person like an expert, but there are also many forums and Facebook groups in Europe where you can ask questions like this. You may not have to pay, uh, I don't know how much is an advisor, maybe 200 euros to get the answer. You may get them for free on a forum or a Facebook group or on the comments in the blog or something like that. But definitely ask for help. And these questions matter. As you said, they can make a big difference over like 20 years. You may not think that uh, 200 or 300 euros a, um, a year 
is big, but once they compound, it can be a difference between one or two more years of work before you can retire. Gotcha. And that's an end what we want, right? To your two more years does not sound something I want. So, <laughs> so I hope for everybody this offers um, a very good framework to work with. And if you want to ask any questions, very good locations are always firehub.eu, uh, uh, the forums on there, their Facebook group, um, the FireEU Reddit thread, which I always find amazing. Uh, we'll obviously link to those in the show notes, the Facebook group um, of our very own podcast. Go there, there are always people willing to answer questions on personal situations. And yeah, that's the amazing thing. You know, then you don't pay for tax advice, but again, still do always do your own research because these things are far too important not to be sure. Um, so then to slowly finish up the episode, quick one on like how we actually personally started uh, with investing. So I guess I will get started first myself. So how did I get started with Invested? Actually, um, ages and ages ago uh, with a provider called Plus500, they were offering free possible uh, free trades where you could buy uh, leveraged CDs or um, stocks. And I had no idea what I was doing, uh, 16 or 17 years old. Um, and they offered free trades. And yeah, I believe I just wrote 23 euro in there uh, through like the highest possible leverage on there. Tried it a few times, made some profit, tried it again, lost everything. No idea what I was doing. But I think that was the very first share I ever bought. And obviously over time um, have uh, grown from... Uh, investing completely in the, in a crazy risky way, which I would not recommend, into buying individual shares and trading. And over time, slowly, I've been growing more and more towards just buying ETFs, set and forget, letting them grow. Um, and at this very moment, I still own some individual shares, but over the last months, I've been slowly all selling them off. And yeah, my investment strategy and focus for now, investing is just solely going full on ETFs. And yeah, that's beyond buying my own house, hopefully soon, that will be it for me. How about yourself, Swiss guy? So I also started with a mistake. So about 10 or 12 years ago, I started investing already in funds, which is good, but definitely not index funds. I also had a more or less no idea what I was doing. Just contacted by my bank. They told me you should invest. I said, okay. I invested maybe like 5,000 Swiss francs at a time. Fortunately, I did not lose much because... Several of the funds did very well. One did very bad. I got scared. I sold everything. Maybe I lost 100 francs. But then the biggest issue is that I didn't invest for the next eight or seven or eight years. And then I started again learning about investing. This time really learning, not doing things I didn't understand. And I directly started investing in ETF. And since that point, I've been investing like almost every month as much as I can always in the, the same ETF, ETFs about ETF. One thing I've learned is that I should try to keep it simple. There are so many ETFs, you have the temptation of trying to make like a big complex portfolio and trying to be smarter than everybody. In the end, it really doesn't uh, help. Just keep a portfolio as simple as possible. Now I only have two ETFs and that's more than enough for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Keep it simple because the on average 7% you roughly make is, honestly, it is good enough. And yeah, have I beaten the market in the past with my crazy strategies? Yes, at some moments, yes. But in other years, I've lost massively far more than the market lost. That's just keeping it simple and straightforward uh, allows you to just simply focus on 
the things that matter in life. And like, as much as I love studying, like the actual documents and the finances around companies, it's in this case, I think just better and more of a proven strategy to stick to this. Um, Please, if you disagree, let us know in the Facebook group if you have uh, something we don't know about uh, and more efficient ways or better ways of uh, getting larger returns. Get get a discussion started because always happy um, and interested to learn more. But yeah, to slowly wrap up the episode with this, I hope this was of value to everybody. Swiss Guy, thank you so much for helping me with this one. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Perfect. And just um, the very last question, actually, of the episode. If anybody's interested in uh, learning more about yourself, where they, where can they find you? So the best place is directly on the blog. So thepoorswiss.com. You can also find me on Facebook and uh, Twitter, uh, also the Poor Swiss. And uh, I will be glad to answer all your questions there. Awesome. And I can definitely second the blog. There's some great articles on there. And uh, Swiss guy and me, a while back, we covered an episode on how the 4% rule was working and just debated the statistics around it. He had an amazing article on that one, and I hope the episode was also okay. So I would definitely recommend checking those uh, out as well. We'll all add them to the show notes. So yeah, anyway, to leave it at that, thank you so much and see you at the next one. Thank you. See you next time. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.